So on to what we're talking about this morning. And for anybody who wants a refresher or anyone joining online that hasn't been here, um, you can find all our sermons on the Elk Point Baptist Church website, also on our YouTube page. So we're going to continue on my work through the book of Hebrews. It's been a very enlightening journey. I, I shuddered to kind of even start on the book of Hebrews just because I knew the, the depth to which it goes in the New and the Old Testament, but God has used it in amazing ways. My last message was December 27th out of Hebrews 3, 7 to 19. Today we'll be moving into chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Our passage today deals with a lot of the same themes as we touched on in chapter 3. And admittedly, that's been kind of one of my bigger struggles in the book of Hebrews because um, the author here tends to get on these tracks where he kind of wants to repeat himself in a number of different ways to kind of drive the ideas home. But as I was thinking about what we touched on in chapter 3 and what we're going through in chapter 4 now, um, one subject in particular f I felt um, needed to be better fleshed out. And this is that concept of the already but not yet-ness of the Christian hope. Last time we looked very briefly at the promises in Hebrews 3, verses 6 and 14, which state in verse 6, we are Christ's house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Then in verse 14, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. My assessment last time was that in the course of looking back on 2020 and even the beginning bits of 2021, now it hasn't always or often felt like we were sharing in Christ. 2020 wasn't an easy year for most of us. 2021 hasn't brought the tremendous turnaround that many people were hoping for. But thankfully, while we do get a foretaste of our hope as believers here on this earth, the true blessings that we share in our faith in Christ are yet to come. This morning's passage focuses on the promised rest of God's people. We're going to focus on how we see that in our lives today and how we shall see it more clearly with Christ in eternity. So would you pray with me? Our God and our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give us open eyes to see and open ears to hear and hearts prepared for the work of your word through the Holy Spirit. God, that you would shape and mold our thoughts by your word and that we would not shape and mold your word by our thoughts and our hearts. Lord, that you would be using your word to sanctify us, to sweep out the dust and the grime that is built up in our hearts and our lives and that we might be made more like you and that we would be made to worship you more by what we hear and what we learn from your word. God, these services aren't about us. We receive tremendous blessing from them, but they're not about us. They're about you. And Lord, it's to this effect that we pray that you will be glorified by all that is said and done 
and by the work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives. Lord, we thank you for these things. We thank you for our time together, for this building to meet in as it snows outside, for these brothers and sisters to meet with as many are unable to meet either here in Canada and around the globe. God, you have tremendously cared for your people in Elk Point Baptist Church. And we ask that none of those blessings and none of your work would go unnoticed among your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, this morning we're going to be reading from Hebrews, starting in chapter 3, verse 19, and we'll read through to 4, verse 11. So starting in 3, verse 19. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter in, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. This is God's word. Throughout this passage and our last one, the Israelite people and their story of their fleeing from Egypt and traveling through the wilderness and they're eventually being barred from the promised land. These Israelite people are being held up as a mirror to reflect the realities of the Christian life. The author of the Hebrews wants us to understand that there is a, there's a correlation here. These people were rescued from slavery. They're taken by God as his own people, led out of Egypt. They were sustained through a variety of trials. But when it came time to enter the rest that God had prepared for them, they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Verse 19. They failed to enter because of disobedience. Verse 6. And we must therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. In verse 11. Brothers and sisters, those of us who have claimed faith in the Lord Jesus are in the interim. 
We are as the Israelites that have been freed from Egypt, but not yet enjoying that promised rest. And the veracity, the truthfulness of our claim of faith will be tested before we enter the rest that God has prepared for his people. I wanted to dig into this idea of living, into the, living in the interim because between the inauguration of Christ's kingdom and the fulfillment of it is, is where we live. We don't know when Christ will return. And when he, we do know that when he does return, he will bring with him the fullness of his kingdom. But we are told repeatedly in Scripture to live as though he could return at any time. Just a quick look reveals that the book of Matthew, Luke, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Peter, Revelation, they all have this idea in them of the second coming in terms of a thief coming in the night. And this is our reality that we do not know when Christ will return. And when he does return, it will be too late. We will be as we are when he returns and we won't have that last chance to quick make the switch to the, to the winning team. But that being said, we pray that our Savior would come soon to set this world aright and to bring that promised rest for which we hope. And I do sincerely desire that this message would reach some who have not yet followed Christ. Because for you, your path is the same as professing believers who will not persevere. The eternal rest promised to God's people will be denied equally to those who have professed faith in Christ but not persevered, as well as to those who have professed no faith at all. In that time, those will receive the wages of their sin, which is death. And the death awaiting is not quick nor painless, but it is the eternal death of those who have rejected Christ. But our passage this morning gives us so much hope. The hope remains that none are condemned to that fate until their last breath. God has proven himself capable of calling even the most despicable sinner to himself at any time. None of us deserve the gift of God's grace any more than anyone else. But God has given it freely to his people. So I would pray that you would hear his call upon your heart and your life and that you would respond in faith. But returning to the majority of us here as professing believers, we are in this already but not yet state. And I recognize that every metaphor eventually breaks down, especially on something as mysterious as this. But as I was thinking how to describe this, it came to my mind a, a situation with my, my Christmas present from Sherry. So for Christmas, Sherry bought me a beautiful new Bible, and she knows me well enough to know that I meticulously research just about everything, and rather than 
fighting through the process of trying to see if she ordered me the right thing. Um, she basically just freed me to choose and order my preferred present. So she said, I know you want a nice new Bible. Buy yourself a nice new Bible, order it. So I did. I bought it, I ordered it, it was mine. But arriving at the house, much to my chagrin, I said, well, do I get to have it now? Or no, it gets wrapped and goes under the tree. So arriving at the house, she picked it up, she wrapped it and put it under the tree. And the gift had been bought, the gift had been paid for, the gift was mine. I was enjoying the prospect of using it and having it in my hands, but at the same time, it wasn't mine. Until I opened it on Christmas morning, it was still Sherry's gift to give to me. I was kind of in this already, but not yet stage. Again, I say eventually these metaphors do break down, so don't push them too far. But us as believers are living in that state today. And Romans 8 is one of the most beautiful passages to help us understand this. And I read part of it earlier today, and I want to hear you to hear a couple of those sections again. Starting in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Then down to verses 22 to 25. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Pay attention to the tenses here in, this, in these passages. In verse 15 and 16, you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. But then down to verse 23, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. This is a core passage in this idea of the already but not yet. Already adopted but eagerly awaiting adoption. The spirit given to us as a down payment, as a sign and a seal of what is to come. Another parallel passage comes from Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. In him we have obtained an, an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And then in verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. 
We have an inheritance. It is ours. But the Holy Spirit is the guarantor of that inheritance until we acquire possession of it. It would have done me no good and shown no respect to Sherry as the giver of that Bible she got me for Christmas to just be content with this in-between state. Just happy to know that I have the gift and enjoying the idea of it, but not desiring to open it. Leaving it just to sit under the Christmas tree until we pack the Christmas tree up and then putting it on the shelf and putting it back under the Christmas tree next year. For those who have true faith, we have been adopted. The inheritance is ours. But there's this lag time and how we spend that time in between will show truly whether or not our faith is real. We should be looking forward to the day where we get to experience the inheritance that has been given us. And that will affect the way that we live our lives. I quite enjoy that I, before I preached on Hebrews, I worked through the book of James because these two books provide a great balance to one another. James penned in his book, what good, it, what good is it, my brothers, if someone has, says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believed and shuddered. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Just as Rahab and Abraham displayed the legitimacy of their faith by their works, the Israelites in the wilderness did exactly the opposite. They, dis they displayed their disobedience. They displayed the hardness of their own hearts that their faith was a false faith. The author of Hebrews in this passage connects his thoughts closely with the creation order in which God created the earth in six days and then rested on the seventh. And this was then applied to the covenant people of God in the concept of the Sabbath that they lived under. Six days shall we work. Then on the seventh day, rest. Brothers and sisters, today, in our lives here on earth, we must work, we must toil. And because of 
the curse that has fallen on this world because of sin, that work and that toil will not be easy. It will not always be fun. But we work those six days knowing that our rest is coming. But that rest is only coming if we do in fact work faithfully. I discovered a great breakdown of this in an article by Dr. David Briones. He's an associate professor of the New Testament at Westminster Theological Seminary. He said this of the already but not yet. If we are to live biblically in between the times, we must trust the indicatives and obey the imperatives. Biblical indicatives are another way of expressing the already. You are holy. Imperatives express the not yet. Be holy. Solely trusting in the indicatives will lead to antinomianism. Discarding God's law because we are saved. Merely obeying the imperatives will lead to legalism. Obeying God's law in order to be saved. Grace in the gospel opposes both. The two imperatives from our passage today, they bookend our reading. Verse 1 and verse 11. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear. And then in verse 11, let us therefore strive. This is what we are to be doing in this interim, in this 50, 60, 70, 80 hundred and some odd years on the best of days that we have here on this earth. Christ's work is complete. In his high priestly prayer in John 17, Christ said to God the Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have set out for me to do. Our Savior's last words were, it is finished. Nothing else needs to be done. But there is still much to do. We are commanded to fear lest any of us seem to have failed to reach God's rest and to strive that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience shown by Israel in the time of Moses and of Joshua. By striving and by fearing, we cannot earn our salvation. Indeed, we are warned that by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God in Ephesians 2.8. But we are also told that faith is to be active along with our works and faith is completed by our works. We cannot earn our salvation by fearing and striving. But if we are not fearing and if we are not striving, then our faith is no true faith at all. As I was reading, I thought that the author of our passage this morning had kind of two primary purposes in mind. Firstly, that the professing believer would be warned and exhorted to a vital and active faith by the example of the nation of Israel. And secondly, that the believer might be reminded that the Christian hope is not primarily found in this life. Providentially, I've been listening to, as I've been gallivanting around Western Canada for one reason or another, 
Um, I've been listening to a book by A.W. Tozer called The Crucified Life. He was a alliance, Christian missionary alliance pastor in the late, teen, late 1800s, early 1900s, and a tremendous man of faith. And this is what he had to say about the already and not yet. Christ is risen, and we have risen with him, and sit at the right hand of the Father with him, in spirit and one of these days with a human body. In the meantime, we are to act as if we are up there in heaven, but a little bit different. A farm boy comes to the city and acts different because he belongs on the farm. A city boy goes to the country and acts different because he belongs in the city. The man who has not been on a farm walks around gingerly, trying to keep out of the mud and keep his shoes from being soiled. He is acting like a city man on the farm. As Christians, we ought to act that way. In a manner of speaking, we belong up there. Our culture belongs up there. Our thinking belongs up there. Everything belongs up there. I suppose we act awkward here because we belong up there. You belong to God. You have another spirit. You know another language, and you speak this world's language with an accent. When others mention religion, they talk about it with an accent. They belong to the earth, and you belong to God. Tozer compares the Christian life here with farm boys in the city and city boys on the farm speaking with an accent. Later on in what I was reading, he also describes it as an awkward goose waddling away on land, one of the most awkward creatures that you will ever see, but tremendously graceful as it takes to the skies. The idea that he was communicating here is that while we may live and exist and work and play and minister in this world, we are no longer of this world. Christ prayed to the Father in his high priestly prayer saying, I have given my people your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in tr the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. The way we live our lives as believers should communicate that we are not from here. We should be living life on this earth with an accent. Not to pick on the Filipino crew amongst us, but it is very clear the Filipino people who are from the Philippines because the accent is there. From the very get-go, you can go, you are probably not a third, fourth, fifth generation born in Canada. You probably were born in the Philippines because you live your life with an accent and that shows something about who you are. And we as believers should show something about who we are by the way we live our lives with an accent that is foreign to this world that we live in. Too often I hear this idea of in the world and not of it being used as a separatist mindset. Build our walls and keep that big bad world out. 
We are stuck here until we die, so block all that bad worldly stuff out in the meantime, live in our Christian bubbles with our Christian friends, and read our Christian books, and do have nothing to do with anything in the world. We are in the world, but we're not here to sequester ourselves until we arrive at the rest that God has promised. We are in the world because we are sent by Christ. And we are sent because as our author tells us in Hebrews 4, 6, and 7, since therefore it remains for some to enter his rest. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterward. In the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It still remains for some to enter the promised rest of God. There are those who have not even heard that there is a rest to be had. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Romans chapter 10. Church, let us live our lives with the accent of a foreign land. Do not try to hide the accent of what has now become your homeland. And don't be mistaken, heaven is now our homeland. Our homeland is with Christ because we have been taken from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light if we have trusted and relied on him. Allow the accent of heaven to make people talk. Let your awkwardness down here force people to inquire about up there. But don't stop here. That quote that's so often attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary use words, is tremendously abused by the Christian church. We're told very clearly in Romans 10, preach the gospel with words. And if we are to preach the gospel with our lives, then words do need to accompany it. Yes, God is capable of saving someone who just saw that we were living our lives differently and revealing to them in a miraculous way how that happened, but that's not how he normally does it. The means that God has ordinarily ordained for the preaching of the word is his people being sent out to preach the gospel to all the nations. Don't stop at just living your life with an accent, trying to be different enough that people will approach you and ask. Because in our world, there's enough different going on that people just kind of assume, okay, you do your own thing, I'll do my own thing, and I don't even really want to ask about what's different about you. We are to go and tell the nations of this homeland that we hail from. We go in the commission of our Savior who said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. 
And we do so knowing that our Savior says, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Brothers and sisters, if you do have a true and a vital faith, you must have a holy fear that causes you to live and to strive to enter the rest that has been promised by Christ. Regardless of who you are and what you believe, Christian or not, your standing and position on this earth is totally inconsequential when compared with your standing before God. When we come to the end of our lives, how much money we had in the bank, how much land we had, how much good deeds we did, all of those things don't matter when it comes to our standing before God. 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The one who has feared the Lord in this life, who has persevered unto salvation, will be welcomed into that rest that is promised to all of God's people. But those who have failed to enter because of disobedience will know the gravity of their mistake much too late. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous unto eternal life. So, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Show the truth of your claim to faith by the way that you live. Live as one sent, as one on a mission for God. And arrive at the promised rest exhausted, but able to truthfully say before the Lord that you have been faithful with what he has given you. And you will hear the Savior say those blessed words, well done, good and faithful servant. Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That is our desire and our hope. We are to live as aliens in this land and to look forward to the joyful inheritance that we have coming. And when your life doesn't look the way that you think it should or the way you want it to, do not be surprised because we are outcasts in a foreign land. We aren't to find our happiness and our joy here. We find our joy knowing that the giver of joy is waiting to welcome us into his kingdom if we persevere to the end. So I would pray that each one of you would persevere in your faith and that each one of you would be motivated to go and live your lives and speak the truth in a way that God's name would be made known far and wide. Let's pray. Our God and our Heavenly Father, we thank you that the promise of entering your rest still stands. 
Lord, we confess with our mouth that you are Lord. We believe in our hearts that you raised Christ from the dead. And Lord, if we have done anything to detract from that gospel, if we have sought to hide that truth, to suppress the accent of your kingdom for the sake of acceptance in this world, we ask your forgiveness. And we ask that you would cause us to live boldly for your truth. That we might not come to the end of our time here on earth and fail to enter that promised rest because of unbelief, because of disobedience. Lord, may we press on as those seeking to win the prize. May our eyes be ever fixed upon Christ, that we would throw aside every weight which so easily entangles us, every sin, every addiction, every issue that we face in this life, may we throw it aside in favor, in favor of the greater worth of following Christ. May you be glorified by the way that we live. And may we have the opportunity to join you in that promised rest. And Lord, as we struggle through the mishaps and misadventures, the sorrow and the pain and the struggles of this life, we pray that we would be motivated by what is to come. That as we experience disappointment and sorrow, that we would not be sidetracked of, by the truth or sidetracked from the truth, that we might follow you in all that we say and do. God, we ask that you would use your word to shape and mold our hearts. That you would not allow us to leave here today and live the same as though we have not heard your word and understood it, but that we might understand it with our whole being and that it might change how we live. Lord, go with your church that we might share you with all that we see and all that we meet. God, use this even through those who watch online, Lord, that you would meet them in their homes, in their vehicles, wherever they might hear the truth of your word and change their hearts, Lord. Draw them to yourself. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.